and welcome to episode 24 of the Good Good Golf Podcast. Rod Murray at the controls as the world continues to spiral seemingly out of control. I'm not sure if anybody's got a hold of the controls at the moment. The UK is now in full lockdown, as are several states and cities in the US, while in Australia, interstate travel's been all but shut down, with borders open but 14-day quarantine rules in place for individuals wishing to enter. All this against a backdrop of a plummeting stock market, entire industries all but wiped out, and millions of jobs likely to disappear worldwide. So where does it all leave golf? Should we even be thinking about golf at a time like this? Well, in fairness to golf, it is more than just a game. It's a legitimate industry, multiple and diverse specialties, everything from course supers to food and beverage staff, mechanics and more. The game really does employ hundreds of thousands across the globe. And yet for some, it just doesn't feel right to be worrying about birdies and bogeys when the world is in such a parlous state. So with no real agenda in mind, I thought we'd find some clever people to just shoot the breeze today on all things golf and coronavirus, I'll start with my regular co-host, Adrian Logue, who has very responsibly stayed away from the studio and comes to us from a secret location in Sydney. Logue, it's been a week since we recorded here in the studio with Brendan James, yet things have changed so monumentally even since then that it seems a lifetime ago. Uh, the world's spinning out of control. Welcome. Uh, looking forward to chatting today. Thanks, Rod. Yeah, it really is just crazy times, isn't it? And yeah, that week ago, even then a week ago, things seemed like they changed a massive amount from when the Players' Championship was on and then we had that podcast with BJ and now a week later, things are completely different again. I'm, I'm here in self-isolation and uh, just trying to trying to work through this sort of existential dread and get <laughs> get my work done. Yeah, well. But at the same time, um, ignoring the advice of all those celebrities on Twitter who are you know, making helpful suggestions about how to perfect a TikTok dance or how yeah, to exactly. use this time to develop a new appreciation of wine or if you've how got to millions take in a, the bank and a year off work doesn't bother yeah. you. Here's a couple oh, this of things is fantastic. to keep you entertained for a week yeah. or two. Yes, it's exactly. it, it, amazingly tone deaf, uh, deaf response from celebrities. Um, but uh, anyway, that's, there we go. Uh, where can people find not, you? That's not oh, my you? experience of self isolation. Uh, <laughs> they can they can find me at uh, adrianlogue.com and at adrianlogue on Twitter and at adrianlogue on Instagram. Instagram, all of the cool stuff. What a woke kid you are. Well, welcome. Looking forward to having a chat to you today. I think, although, as I've outlined in the intro, there's a fair bit of <laughs> not great fun stuff going on from all the way on the other side of the world. And I'll be completely honest here, I forgot to write his intro because I got distracted. So let me just bring him into the conversation. Most of you will know him as one bearded golfer. I know him as the host of the Blind Shots podcast and Dave Hill from Kentucky. Dave, thank you for joining us, mate. Would you like to be OBG today or would you like to be Dave? Up to you. You get to choose. Either one. Uh, that's fine by me. I answer to most things. Finger, I assume. <laughs> I'm going with Dave. It's just one syllable. (laughs) That is the easiest. I'm all for efficiency, and I think Logan and I are kindred spirits in that manner. Indeed, because Logan, of course, is one syllable as well. Uh, The Blind Shots podcast, before we go any further, part of the Talk and Golf Network. It was fantastic to get you uh, on a podcast. You've been talking to me about doing a podcast for about a year. You finally got around to getting cracking late last year. How's it going? How are you enjoying it? It's a very different sort of medium. You've run a blog for a long time. How does it differ from that? The pace of it, uh, just being able to think through things and get feedback immediately rather than writing a, a column or an essay and then you know run back through it and see if it makes sense. Just being able to kind of freewheel and, and get people's thoughts. One, with the guests, I enjoy those, the, the interviews. I think I might value conversation more than about anything. 
but I did some a couple of quick hitters too, which were kind of stream of consciousness things that were a lot of fun. I got a lot of uh, positive feedback from those. Good stuff. Now, for those who aren't familiar, what is the Blind Shots podcast about? Because this is, I think, my favorite part of the whole project. Uh, it is about whatever pops into my warped mind that particular week. Uh, I've named it Blind Shots in particular because uh, when you tune in and download it and turn it on, there's no telling what we're going to be talking about. We could be talking about the trip to Scotland I got to take last fall. Uh, I'm brewing a, th- a mini episode right now about one horrendously angry hole that I played and how much fun it was to play angry because uh, I'm sure everyone has done that from time and again. Um, so it, it's whatever. It's not pro golf. Uh, I'm not going to give you the, the 29th best uh, odds prediction for whenever they play the Masters. Um, there are plenty of people that cover professional golf much better than I ever could, so I'll let them do their jobs. So it's amateur golf. It's spirit of the game stuff. Recreational golf, <laughs> I think we've decided to call it, haven't we, Logue? Because amateur golf is kind of – Elite yeah, let's there. say let's say really low level amateur yeah, golf, right. not high hobby low golf low level good. hackish golf. Yeah, that's right. But Dave um, it strikes me as somebody a little little bit like another guest we had with Jay Ravel, where you know they're they're very good at writing and talking about golf as a pastime and and just the experience of playing golf, and uh, that, that's the kind of stuff I like. Uh, things in the right order. Professional golf is yeah. in its right place with them. It's got a place and we all enjoy it, but its place is not at the very top of the list, which is where professional golf sees itself uh, all so often. Let's talk first. We might come back to some of the stuff you've done on Blanchard's because particularly your first couple of episodes about that Scottish golf trip, which might have been the catalyst to getting you off your bum and getting started on the podcast. We might have a chat about some of that sort of stuff because I think we all, three of us here, fell in love with the game in a whole new way when we went to Scotland and played for the first time. But before we come to that, what's the state of play Golf-wise, lockdown-wise, stock market-wise, in Kentucky, Dave, you sell real estate there in Kentucky. I know as you had a tweet out today, you've got a house there that you're happy to show people if they want to have a look. What, what's Very happy to show. Your world. Uh, within golf, golf courses are open. Uh, they are taking precautions. The USGA sent out some guidance, and our, our state association uh, has backed that up. And locally, now I'm not sure about the privately owned uh, courses, but of the, we've got a really great municipal golf system here in Lexington, five courses, uh, four regulation and one, uh, par three course. They are open. They have adopted some regulations to limit contact. Um, but they are with the guidance that showed that it's, it, the risks can be limited there. I think they're happy to give people an outlet. Um, I don't know what the traffic is like. I played two weeks ago, went out and played 13 holes in some questionable weather. And I was not alone. You know, it was 40 degrees and spitting drizzle uh, on a Sunday afternoon. And there were probably maybe 25 cars in the parking lot, which is pretty good for that time of year uh, in that weather condition. So as of right now, we are – all events are canceled. There are no charity events, no tournaments, but just to get out, uh, you know, I walk anyway. I'm an avid – fan of uh, walking the golf course if you take a cart we're down to solo carts which, which i think is fine but the places are operating maintenance crews are retained and working uh, so that's where we are yeah. you got flag sticks in and no rakes in the bunkers flag sticks in i think they pulled the rakes what they're doing i don't know if you've seen on twitter um 
Golf course superintendent Twitter is a subset that is really <laughs> kind of fascinating to watch. Yeah. And, and very active community. Uh, what I've seen here, you're, people are doing one of two things. They're either raising the cup. So basically, you've got a three-inch bumper target to hit, uh, which straightens out a lot of those putts. Um, or they're taking what we call a pool noodle. It's not quite styrofoam, but it's close. Yep. And they will put the flag, dip, flag stick inside of that uh, and let people putt to that. So it'll catch the ball, won't let it go all the way into the cup. Yeah, it's a great idea, isn't it? And kudos to the RNA and the USGA acting very quickly. Um, you know, they don't always get our compliments, but <laughs> they, they they acted very quickly last week in introducing or waiving a number of the rules of golf or altering the rules of golf indefinitely. Um, it'll be interesting to see from this experiment what happens after those return, whether or after things return to normal normalcy, what people will think about with um, things that, alert from that period like should they you know should they just simplify the whole bloody thing further like they've gone through this real simplification but it's still incredibly <laughs> complex been the, like, the fact that you, if your ball rolls over an ant yeah. and it matters whether or not the ball started from the putting green or from the fairway and whether you've got to replay the shot or not that's just insane stuff but the rules of golf you know you know, they've simplified it for this period and in fairness, those rounds still count for handicapping and good on them, you know. In fairness, it has taken us 500-odd years to get there with the rules. So, you know, let's not be too critical. But We didn't come up with that complexity overnight. It took lots of lawyers, lots of years to, to really think about this. So there's a couple of things going on with golf, I think, Adrian, that are really interesting. In an odd way, I think golfers are feeling less comfortable about playing golf than per- regular golfers than perhaps people who've dabbled with the game and now see it as their only possible outlet. I think we as golfers sort of go to the golf club and think, should we be here? Should we be doing this? Yeah. Whereas I think a lot of people who don't play golf regularly have sort of gone, well, I can't, you know, I can't do this, I can't do that, and I can't do that, but I can play golf, and they're quite happy to be there. Have you sort of, do you sense anything like that? It's a really weird time, and where does golf fit into people's lives in these sort of circumstances? Yeah, it's a great point. And Jay Rubavell, who I mentioned earlier, wrote a, quite a nice piece, uh, which we'll link to in the show notes talking about that where he's actually for the past week he found himself for work reasons separated from his family for a week and wasn't really able to travel but was able to play golf every day so i think he said he played like 90 holes of golf over the past week just with a group of friends going out every afternoon and uh he feels like it's really sort of replenished him in a way that he's ready now to take on this next six months and do what he you know needs to do to help his family get through it and all and uh, it was a very good piece, and I recommend everybody go and read that. But at the same time, he was dealing with the issue of, like, should I be doing this? And uh, uh, they're doing things safely, you know, keeping their distance between his you know, playing partners and not touching anything and clearly showing that golf can be done this way. But, uh, yeah, dealing with that issue of, you know, should I be doing this? But I think you wrote a very good piece, Rod, for Golf Australia magazine, Um where you, you said it very well, where you said, you know, for those who want to play golf, the golf industry thanks you. But for those who feel that they're not comfortable playing golf, well, there's no judgment on that either. It's, uh, you know, do whatever you think is right. Weird sort of circumstances. It, it, Sorry. And to that point, uh, you know, here I reached out. We're coming out of winter here, okay? We're, we had an early spring because we had a mild winter. You know, I heard on State of the Game – northern parts of the the u.s are still closed for seasonal reasons 
But I reached out to a couple of the local golf pros here in town, and I just asked their opinion, just text message like, hey, would you prefer a stay away? Do you want an empty shop, empty course? Or if you've got to be there, do you want to, you know, do you want golfers coming in? And they all said, you know, if the course has got to be open, if the city or if the boss says, you know, leave it open, they'd rather, if it's all the same to us, they'd rather have people out there enjoying the course. Uh, golfing, walking, they can, they can problem solve around uh, whatever guidance they've been given. At least they feel they can. Yeah. I, I, look, I think of all the sports, probably golf and tennis are the two where you can immediately think it's not that hard to stay a long way apart and still sort of take part in the game. There's no contact and there's no sort of close and there's no shared equipment. I suppose tennis has got the ball, but and, uh, there's 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 uh, golfers certainly in that way. Adrian, I know you played golf at the weekend, and you sort of just hinted to me that it was a bit odd. What was your experience on Saturday in your your club comp? We didn't get to explore it, so I hope I haven't put you on the spot yeah. there. But well, it was it was really in that transition period before the really draconian rules sort of came down in Australia, and the, so the clubhouse was still open, but there were constraints about you know, you have to be four metres apart or something. Um, it was pretty extraordinary. So they, they the club had gone and reconfigured the whole clubhouse to be accommodating to that with, you know, areas taped off, which was really weird seeing in a clubhouse and tables configured in such a way that, you know, only two people could sit at them and they were a good distance away from each other, like full, like a, that, that weird sort of classic long table dining room type of thing where you're sitting at opposite ends of a very long table and trying to talk to each other. Shouting at each other. <laughs> yeah. So the members all had a look at that. The members played their normal game of golf except, you know, not touching flag sticks, raking bunkers with your gloved hand, all that sort of thing. And uh, they've now removed the rakes and we've adopted that local rule of 30 centimetres preferred lines. But the um, uh, for, for Saturday, at least, it was still in this sort of transitional mode and then they they all had a look but then everybody sort of went out to the balcony which is not normally where everybody congregates after the round and it was a beautiful summer day and wonderful sort of golden light and everybody was out in the balcony all still keeping their distance so all you know pretty well behaved but looking out over the balcony it just really had this sort of i don't want to sort of say an end of days type of feel about it but like you know just a final party before the end of the world type of feel um not painting too bleak a picture because everyone was having a really tremendous time but but with this sort of melancholy sort of feeling that Hanging you won't get course. to do this again for a long long time and will you and is there being well i'm going to go again on saturday but I, and i think that well the clubhouse is closed now so it is going to be a very different feeling where people just turn up to play golf and go straight back to the car park and go home. So it's uh, it's going to be interesting. Um, and it, as it turns out, yeah, I think that sort of that uh, bittersweet sort of melancholy feeling about golf last Saturday is going to be something that people reflect on in the coming months and think, yeah, you know, that <laughs> we're not going to experience golf as we've known it for decades for for you know another six months, twelve months maybe, and then maybe the game will be completely different when we return to it. Most likely, I'll come to you in a second, Dave. But what was the actual playing like, Adrian? What was the experience like of being on the course? I imagine you play with a fairly regular rotation of people, so you'd have been playing with people you know and that you're familiar with. Was there any sort of weird vibe about the actual playing of the game? And no different with the the rules. Like we just one one or two holes, it took us to sort of remember to not touch the flag 
and uh, to pick up rakes with our gloved hand. That that was about it. You know, we're not. The vibe was okay. Uh, the banter was the same. The sledging. Was the banter the same. was all the same. All of that. I mean, for for myself personally, I I was wondering or reflecting on whether I want to continue playing sort of competition golf during this period, like putting my cards in and all that sort of thing. But um, and I probably will. But I'm also, you know, through the last week, I've been just sitting in the sort of home office we've got here, um, which is a little, little bit of a just a hovel in a corner of, of the house. Are you, are you overstating but, the state of that office? Is that what you're doing? <laughs> Maybe. But I'm looking out the window and it's, you know, it's a lovely day in Sydney and I'm thinking to myself, I would just love to retreat to the golf course, even if it's just by myself. And... Uh, and just wander around, um, you know, even even if I was just to sort of go there and I, I'm less interested in playing for score, put it that way. I feel like I just want to go and uh, wander around the golf course. Even if it, if you know, if the fancy took me, I'd just like lay down in the middle of the fairway and look up at the clouds for a little while. <laughs> it's just, I think everybody needs some sort of place where they can get some escape. Um, Have you got a so, let me just check your no, no, I'm, all, I'm all good. <laughs> Dave, you seem to suggest you haven't played a lot of golf. I imagine the weather's played a big part in that. Has any of this been a factor in your thinking about going out to play? And have you given much thought to whether we should be playing golf? Is that a, is it a great thing? I think you can make the case that it's a positive, but if it doesn't feel right, and some people have said they've gone to play golf and it didn't feel right, uh, then I suppose you can't argue with that either. What's your sort of circumstance and your take on what's going to happen with your own personal golf? The the velocity at which things are changing here is a little bit scary. Uh, I'll preface everything with that. Um, you know, for being an inland and a landlocked state, uh, we started without a big international airport presence. We started having cases show up uh, pretty regularly, pretty early in the process. So as more tests are available and this thing is growing here, or at least what they're detecting is growing I think I feel myself less drawn to the course. You know, I, they may keep the golf courses open. And so out of, you know, I've been locked up for 10 days, basically not locked up, but kind of self isolating and home with the kids. Uh, I may reach a breaking point and need to get out and just go enjoy that green space, which I may do even without taking my clubs or just take a one iron and a ball and just go whack it around, not try to play for score. Um, I think that's the direction we're heading, which is, a killer here because as the weather warms up, everybody's wants to break out of the, shake the winter off. The cabin fever is compounded uh, as things start to come into bloom. And we see shades of green that we haven't seen in five months. Um, I'll still get out. I play a lot of solo rounds. I'm a, I've got small children, so I sneak out when I can, unless it's a league event and all the league, all the men's league stuff has been canceled. So there are no competitions right now to take part in, which is a big difference from what it sounds like adrian's talking about um so right now your choices are go play alone or grab a couple of buddies and just go have fun that's kind of where the golf scene is and if somebody wants to go out and walk the course with me i may go if i've got the time but it's uh it's a very different feeling for where we usually are in march and april yeah indeed. well of course you experience something here that we never experience isn't it adrian which is you know golf is just not an option for several months on end. And that, I imagine, comes with a pretty bleak start to that period and through the middle of it, but much excitement at this end of the season. We never get to see that. 
I'm still horrified that some countries don't get to play golf all year round. It's, we take it for granted here, don't we? Uh, which I got into adulthood without understanding that that happens in other yeah. countries. They, yeah, you know, they actually close down golf courses. So what are the – upsides is the wrong word. I feel like, and from listening to you there, Dave, I'll get your thoughts on this. Is it possible that your own relationship and attitude towards the game might change? Now, I know that you've been going through somewhat of a – changing perspective on golf for the last few years with your blog and with the podcast and you went to Scotland and we know that all of those things sort of changed your relationship with the game in a whole bunch of ways. Uh, Is there a possible that that might continue in a positive fashion? The notion of just uh, Adrian and I once walked Royal Canberra with Clates, just walked the course with him because they'd done some reads on it. One of the greatest days of my life. <laughs> no golf clubs, no thoughts about where to hit it, just to walk the course and talk about the game. I compared podcast subscription lists with Clates. And- <laughs> That's right. Clates had his phone out and you had your phone out and you were going through podcasts that I'd never heard of. But I wonder whether there's anything possibly in that way, whether regular golfers, it might be a perspective adjustment, Dave. What do you think? There is a, a distance makes the heart grow fonder element to it for sure. Um. You know, with all sports being basically suspended, I think a lot of people are reevaluating. You know, they're just putting more thought into things about where they spend their time. Um, you know, some people are binge watching shows. Uh, some people may oh, be rediscovering books or magazines. <laughs> Need some suggestions. Uh, um, well, uh, on that tangent, my we my wife just got the HBO Go thing uh, app. I guess so. I haven't seen. I haven't seen subscription cable television in a, a long time, so there are some shows I'm going to go back and, and watch. Um, Boardwalk Empire is one I'm starting right now, so that's something that's – I'm a sucker for a period piece, so let that color – you know, use that for your bias all you will. Um, I, never watched, I never watched The Sopranos, so I want to go back and watch that You know, stuff. Uh, I'm enough contrarian. I miss a lot of cultural moments, so I'm going to go back and catch those on the, the backside. But as far as relationship with golf – it's what I'm doing now, the way I'm coping with it, and the way a lot of my friends are is we're, we're into the daydream and reminiscing phase right now, thinking about what we're going to do once this is all over, you know, God willing, and the, the river don't rise, and remembering, we're going back and reminiscing about what we've done fun, golf trips, places we've played, specific memories uh, created at those places or even just on those trips. Um, that's how I spend my winter anyways, planning next year's golf trip, deciding what formats we're going to play, what the teams are going to be, that sort of thing. You're so, the man, aren't you? You're, I, you are the organizer. I am. I'm the, I'm the golf trip dictator. Yeah. So this is basically extended spring training for me. Um, need a little extra time on that. But you know, ch- just checking in with guys. As far as on the course, I've actually been taking some lessons. I'd kind of gotten away from that for a couple of seasons. So. Things had gotten crooked enough. I went back and saw my pro, and so we had been working on a program to try to straighten things out, and that was going really well. Um, that facility is still open, so I still have that available to me. They'll go set balls on the back porch and let you run your card through basically a, a card reader, and you can just go have some quiet solitude on the range, which is nice. It, at least it's an outlet. Um, but not having the competition golf, that probably won't hit me until maybe next month when it, it's weekends start unfolding without that sort of outlet. 
Yeah, that, that whole culture of things is just so completely different, isn't it, Adrian? I can't imagine hanging around waiting for comp golf to start because, of course, we, as we've mentioned so many times, it's, it's about all we do. Can't avoid it. Here in Australia, that's right, it's unavoidable. If you want to play golf at any point on a weekend, chances are you're going to find yourself in a comp. Uh, I want to talk about relationship with the game because I think it's a fairly important part of all of our lives, which is ridiculous. We know that. We know what a stupid pursuit golf is, ultimately, and yet it gives so much in terms of uh, stimulus and things to think about. And even when you're not playing, it's an eternally fascinating game. I've never asked you this, Adrian. I know that you started fairly young, that your dad was a golfer up there in Maitland. How's that? How has golf become more than just... Because you and I would both know loads of people who for their entire lives, golf's just been a twice-a-week thing to do and never anything more than that. And yet for us, it's, it isn't that. How did that happen? Yeah, I don't know. That's a, that's a good question. I mean, for me, golf... It, and and I, I preface this by saying, as, as as important as golf is to me and to you, Rod, I'm always amazed at just how important golf is to other people. <laughs> there, there's people out there for whom golf is everything, and it, it's just it's it's an extremely important part of their life, and their connection to golf is is you know the thing their whole life revolves around. Um, so I'm I'm always amazed and interested to meet people like that who are real really obsessed with golf people think i'm a golf nerd but there are some people who are really obsessed with golf out there and um it's uh and good on them i think it's great to have something to sort of anchor your life to like that um it's uh we underestimate i think how important this sport is to to a lot of people um and uh it's it's one reason why i think it's important to find a way to keep it going through all of this um, but yeah, for me, you know, my dad was very keen golfer. He was sort of, he was captain of the golf club up in Maitland actually. So, um, he, uh, sort of took it home with him a fair bit and we, we always talked about golf. He was, he was always keen for me to get into golf and, uh, uh, at some point the, the bug bit, um, I was probably about 10 or 11 when the bug bit and, uh, I very quickly became very obsessed and uh, yeah, Dad and I would just talk about golf all night to to Mum's delight, and uh, <laughs> twice a golf win, and, uh, lost a husband and a son, <laughs> exactly. And uh, but then, like everybody, you know, when you leave school, you have far less time for it. And I actually barely played golf for about ten years after um, leaving school, you know, through university, and then travelling a little bit. I lived in Japan for a couple of years, but um, so through that period, I barely played any golf at all. And uh, it wasn't until, you know, we we had our kids and the kids had sort of got a little bit old enough to sort of fend for themselves that I was able to get into golf again. And uh, uh, I think that's – you sort of go through the journey. I think it's a pretty typical journey. A lot of people play golf as, as teenagers and then reconnect with it uh, later in life and um, they still carry with them everything – that they experienced as a teenager and the memories of it. And, uh, it, and, you know, it can sort of become an important thing to them again. Um, so, uh, and then I'm lucky enough to now work in the golf industry, which, uh, was a series of sort of fortunate things, which, you know, you get opportunities presented to you. And if you, you know, you, you take the right path then you can, um, it, you can take those opportunities and sort of incorporate them into your life. And I've been lucky enough to be able to do that. So, is there a lesson um, in all of that for golf, the industry? I feel like 
I'll come back to you in a minute, Dave, because I, I listened to your Origin Stories podcast the other week, which was really good. And I know that you were a baseball guy and you had a very different journey to what Adrian's had. I think everybody has a somewhat different journey. But Adrian, is there a lesson for the golf industry in who we target to want to bring into the game? There's been loads of hand-wringing for the last decade about millennials or young people. You know, we've got to have people sort of between the ages of 35 filling up golf courses or the game is in mortal sort of peril. And I look around at all the people I know and your story is absolutely normal. People play as a youngster, they have a life where they don't have time for golf for 10 years, where they have kids and jobs and that whole building phase. And then late 30s, early to mid 40s, things change and golf becomes a realistic proposition again. I feel like we don't take advantage of that. We target the wrong people sometimes. I think we could... If golf focused on trying to get, you know, people who played other sports even right up until their late thirties, forties, you can play golf for your whole life. You can, there's so many people to be scooped up who are who can no longer do the netball and the tennis and the hockey and cricket and football and all those other things who are looking for a competitive outlet. What do you reckon about that as a notion? Yeah, well, junior golf is so important for that reason. Is that they, they, those people might not go and join golf clubs straight away. Um, but if they play enough golf as a junior, it's something that's locked away in their experience and the, it's not intimidating to come back at golf as an adult. Um, whereas I think adults who the last sport they played might have been a bit of cricket or baseball, at, like the last sort of bat and ball sport that they played might have been some cricket or baseball back in high school and they might not have played it to a great level. The thought of coming to a sport which requires the precision of golf. And I'd be interested on, in Dave's thoughts on this because, Dave, I think you came to golf pretty late, didn't you? Um, but uh, the thought of coming to golf, is, which requires a precision far superior or far more precision than some of those other sports, uh, and you've got to do it in front of people pretty much from day one and keep up with them, um, it, it just you can't help but be embarrassed and it can't help but be an incredibly intimidating experience especially if you go and join a club or something where everybody seems like they've been there for a million years and uh, the, the, whole, the whole club atmosphere is incredibly intimidating. But a lot of that is stripped away if you've played golf as a junior and you kind of know what to expect and you can return to it a little bit like riding a bike. You know, you're not worried about whiffing. You, you're worried about getting the ball airborne, sure, but um, you, you know that you're going to be able to get around without embarrassing yourself too badly and then... You know, give it a couple of years and you'll actually be you'll, you'll find your place in the club moderately competent and be saying like most of us gee I wish I'd taken this game up when I was a kid I would have been so much better I'm staggered Adrian how many people have said to me over the years people who've taken up the game later in life that um, they're really bad at it but they'll go and get lessons when they're good enough the embarrassment of going to a yes. teaching pro and be, it's like don't you a get remarkable it? thing yeah. now's the time <laughs> go now not when you can finally finally have a whole bunch of bad habits that at least allow you to get it airborne dave you have had a very different experience to what adrian's outlaid there i think uh how was it coming you came to golf i know you said you mucked around with golf maybe as a kid but certainly not sort of as golf as we know it with uh, any sort of competitive element to it what was that like coming to golf later in life? Having played another sport, I think you were a baseballer, were you not, as a youngster? That was – I played baseball, basketball, football, American football, mm-hmm. um, all the way, I guess, as a, a young kid and then sort of dropped off football, uh, young, stopped growing taller, dropped, so had to drop basketball then, uh, stuck with baseball. But when I graduated high school, that was the end of my baseball career. There was no future in it. 
that happened to be 1997 when Tiger Woods won the Masters. He had just made golf look really cool for the first time. So I needed something to do that competitive outlet. Um, you know, it, it, a couple of things Adrian said are really in stark contrast to what you see in the United States a lot. One, uh, there's a much bigger, or it feels like there's a much bigger, what you'd call a public golfer, a gypsy. You know, joining joining a club is a very different thing, I think, in other parts of the world than it is here, expense-wise, prestige-wise. Um, you know, you you mentioned junior golf. I'm trying to think if I know of anybody who has children that doesn't play golf, that the child is in junior golf or interested in golf. I think, you know, you don't you don't learn that in, in elementary school. You know, it's not part of the PE curriculum. You know, you can learn baseball, uh, football, basketball in school, soccer, tennis. You know, those are sports you can play as part of the kind of as an add on to the academic curriculum, uh, even from a young age. Golf has not cracked that nut in this country. And junior golf can be uh, if you if you push a child towards the competitive end of that spectrum, um, you know, that can be very expensive very quickly. Oh, that you know, if you're crazy, a, it's crazy, isn't it? It's like a, it's like a countrywide tour. You've got to take your kids uh, out of state and stay overnight and, you know, little kids playing these crazy 36 and 72 hole tournaments. It's, it's madness, really. And that's across the board in all sports. I, I'll come back and do another podcast and just monologue on tr- what travel sports and, and high end youth sports and what, what a racket it is. It's, it's really slimy and terrible in some regards. Um, well, on the but parents, to golf, is what it, it really does. Yeah. Uh, and it dangles the, the prospect of a scholarship out in front of, uh, out in front of them, uh, which is usually in a very partial scholarship unless uh, it's someone like a, a, someone that has tour talent. Um, but as far as junior golf, so yeah, unless you are, have a, a sibling or a parent involved in golf, it's unlikely that a child will just either have the interest or or have the access to get involved as a junior. Coming to it late in life was fun. I, I played a ball and bat sport, um, and I wanted to get better. But for the first, you know, through my 20s and kind of that period where I was getting through uh, college and, and grad school and that first decade of working, golf was just an excuse to go hang out with my buddies. Um, you know, we weren't scores weren't really a big part of it we were all pretty terrible none of us had had lessons so it didn't matter it's just a, a way to go hang out uh, it was the camaraderie and fellowship uh, and you know go swing as hard as you could that was fun versus you know maybe seven eight years ago i started getting it coincided with some of my best friends also taking that uh that route of wanting to improve and get better um but at the same time, at that kind of divide line where you're talking about people might come in, I had some people that just dropped the game altogether. Um, they may need an extra decade to, to come back to it. So it's the journeys here versus elsewhere, I think, are pretty different with golf. I sense that. Uh, yeah, I, I sense that too, Adrian. I think that's, that sort of makes sense to me. The culture of everything about golf in America, everything about sport, I think, in America is different. Although a lot of what Dave's pointing out that we have here too. We don't have that national AJGA tour kind of idea with the kids, but you don't have to go far to find academies, and uh, yeah. we get we get the college spotters here in Australia. Our elite 
programs here that are run by Golf Australia, the high performance programs, are our version of that sort of college thing, aren't they? You know, if you can yeah. get in and all that sort of stuff, it's it gets that's crazy. right. And that college avenue is open to um, to kids here as well. Um, like Carl Phillips uh, has gone over there, been very right. successful. Yeah, dozens, dozens over there. Many of whom you never hear of who actually go and get a get a, an education and have the golf thing and they can make a decision about, yeah. you know, okay, I realise I'm not good enough, golf's not going to be it, but I've had a good education and, and some yeah. time. But obviously that's elite golf and that yeah. doesn't apply to the you know, 99.9% of us. And uh, for most, I think if, you know, if kids can get the opportunity to have access to a course and play a bit of golf with their parents and it's a great way for kids to interact with adults. So I, I think that's the biggest thing to come out of junior golf really is kids getting to you know bond on an activity with their parents or their grandparents and uh also just interacting with strangers at the golf club in a safe environment where it's uh it, it it's really a big stepping stone to maturity i think for for kids to um mix with uh not the mix with their peers um having fun at the golf cor- course but also being a part of an, an adult world um i think there's it's a, it's a really underrated part of of golf. Yeah. Maybe you don't get that so much in public golf in the in the states, but in um, playing it, uh, at, you know, sort of at member courses here in Australia, which are very affordable, it should be said for for juniors. You have a predominantly semi-private system here in Australia. Most yeah, courses that's are right. Semi-private suburban courses, and junior fees are typically just you know hundreds of dollars at that's the right. most. And then they um, suddenly, at the age of eighteen, just become unaffordable. Overnight, <laughs> exactly. One of the, one of the I mean, if there's something you want to address, that would be it. But at least they don't have to pay joining fees, um, which can be obviously in the tens of thousands of dollars. But uh, and there are initiatives. Not. I was going to say, and there are initiatives here. The and this is something I want to investigate in a, a future podcast or blog. Get somebody to go on the record. The there's the Youth on Course Initiative, mm-hmm. which has it's you know the sponsors the reduced fees uh, to try to get kids to the course. Uh, we have a, a couple of private clubs here in Kentucky that are doing the Youth on Course, the Caddy program. I know they did the pilot last year, and apparently that was pretty successful. So they're they're looking to grow it. So, um, you know, for all the I'm no I have no great love for the USGA here either for a lot of the, the way they handle things. But they have um, at least somebody there has kept their eye on the ball and has started sort of reinvesting and and trying to take initiatives other than just, hey, grow my golf business of trying to get kids involved in golf that wouldn't otherwise maybe have access to it, which is nice. Yeah, because everybody deserves to have a chance, don't they? Uh, it, it sort of strikes me, I suppose, one of my favourite things I've ever done in golf, and this goes very much to what you were talking about, Adrian, but maybe on a, a somewhat different level. The favourite thing I think I've ever done in terms of golf work was cover the girls' junior, inter, um, New South Wales Girls' Junior Championship way back in the mid-90s. Because for the first time in my life, I saw a bunch of 13, 14, 15, 16, 17-year-old girls out playing golf, all good players, who had their dads caddying. Now, there aren't yeah. many things. You've got a daughter age. There's not a lot of things for dads and daughters to do in that kind of age range, is there, that they can share. And golf is one of the few. I mean, dad can drive you to netball or hockey or AFL if you play one of those other sports. But that caddying, that, that struck me. I'll never forget that that couple of days and just how impressive that kind of was because golf is unique in so many ways. There's one of the most unique things about it. It, it tests – it's certainly going to test some of those relationships too <laughs> when it gets to a competitive True. level. Like I've sat um, on the sideline, you know, or sort of in the sort of 
team area or the support area for my daughter playing competitive tennis. And, you know, every bad shot is somehow it's your fault. <laughs> but like um, caddying, I suppose, in that way. <laughs> and caddying, it must be that example. Like, They've banned it here. They, is that they, right? I, I interviewed Steve Flesh a couple of years ago, you know, senior tour golf Steve Flesh, and he, his son was fairly proficient as a junior. And when I was talking to him, he said, no, they, they have outlawed uh, parental caddy units in some of the, the high-level amateur yeah, tours because the, the stress of it just gets so bad. The back and forth is, is ugly. Um, so, yeah, they, you can't, parents can't talk to their kids here uh, for the juniors anymore. Not, can't yeah. caddy, none of it. Sad that makes sense. <laughs> it's sad, but it kind of <laughs> makes sense. There, there is. I mean, golf is a bit gentler because there's more of a companionship to it. Because a lot of those dads would be, you know, they'd go out and play with their kids as well. And as long as they're not telling them what club to hit when they're playing with them, then I think they can go and just enjoy a bit of companionship. And golf's great for that. You don't get that with, say, you know, tennis or some other sports where it's head-to-head competition. Um, but yeah, that. That playing together in peaceful companionship doesn't necessarily translate into a player caddy relationship. No, no, does no, it? Caddy. In fairness, I don't think I think most of the dads there realise their daughters weren't going to go on to become super competitive high level golfers. And there was it, it was certainly I didn't see any uh, tantrums or niceness, but it just struck me as a nice thing to do. David, how's, how is golf going to be a part of your relationship with your own kids? Do you think? I imagine you want them to play. There's dangers there, isn't there? I want them to. I want them to play as long as they want to play. And right now they associate daddy with golf. Um, the, the little guy, the two and a half year old, he doesn't have a whole lot of words, but if he sees somebody on the, the golf course, he points at me and, and makes a swinging motion. Um, and the, the older one, the or anyone with a beard, maybe he just points. Oh, it's a goal. <laughs> that's a whole, that's a whole different, that's a whole different pointing at Dada. Um, but the, you know, I've got a little putting mat in the basement uh, for the winters and, and they both will, uh, hit you know hit putts with me. Uh, the older one has gone to some youth clinics um, out at, at my practice facility, and he enjoys those a lot. You know they have a professional PGA instructor, little groups of you know six or eight kids. It's nice for me just to see to force them to uh, listen to someone, not me. You know having a coach for something else, but um, I'm going to encourage them to play or do something, whatever it is. Right now, they have interest in golf, which is great. I think mainly because dad has an interest in golf. If they stay with it, great. Uh, if not, I'll be their baseball coach or their basketball coach or whatever whatever duty requires. But right now, they both seem to enjoy it because I enjoy it. And we can go out in the backyard and do it together. We can hit little birdie balls um, and wiffle balls and have a grand time. We, we did that yesterday, as a matter of fact. I cut the grass in 48-degree weather just so we had a place to run around that wasn't knee-high and soggy. Uh, or so, to give Mrs. One Beauty yeah. Golfer a break, which is nice of you. Good yeah. on you for doing that. Well done. They might be the only thing that will get me back in a cart regularly. And I fear that day is coming because they will. They are. They are both motorheads. You know, they they just complete <laughs> grease monkeys. And once they see a golf cart, they don't know about them yet. But once they see a golf cart, boy, it's going to be hard to get them out from behind that steering wheel. So we'll see how that goes. Ironically, one of the ways to get kids hooked on golf is exactly that. Let them steer the cart. Uh, they'll want to go to golf every single week, I can I can guarantee you. The focus on elite golf and competitive golf, Adrian, at that young age, there's real dangers with it, aren't there? You, you, you can lose people for life. Ideally, in a perfect world, you'd like people to grow up with the sort of 
I feel like it's a healthy relationship that we've kind of got to the game. I'm a bit like you. The older I get, the less important score is to the point now where, to be honest with you, <laughs> I don't really care. I don't think what I score. Well, that's a bit embarrassing course. for you, isn't it? So What's that? It's, it gets a bit embarrassing for you. So What do you mean? I understand. I understand oh, my, that, ga- oh, my so. game is embarrassing, absolutely. There's no question about that. So luckily it's not about the score. But do you, see what I'm, do you know what I'm getting at there? We focus too much on the competition. We know that in Australia here week in, week out. But I don't feel for having said that, that most of the people I play with, they're obsessed with comp- competition golf. They're obsessed with playing in comps, but they're not obsessed with doesn't sort of ruin their day if they don't play well. Is that off the money or on the money? Uh, I don't know. It, it, I think that's a pretty individual thing. A lot of people feel like it just doesn't mean anything if they're not putting a card in and having an effect on not moving their handicap around a bit. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I think for a lot of people, and as you know, you know I work with the, the handicap system and people really care about their bloody handicap. Oh, so. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, <laughs> so I think a lot of people get out there and they they don't feel like it means anything if they're not playing in some way that's going to affect their handicap, which is, I know for non-Australian listeners that sounds bizarre, but... Um, that's that is really a big part of the culture of golf in Australia, but for people coming to golf as adults, um, and, and you can make a case that a lot of the money that's spent on junior development or even on elite play in Australia should be siphoned a, a good portion of it should probably be siphoned off into some sort of program that encourages and, and this sounds crazy but encourages like forty to 45-year-old men and women to get into golf. Um, and something that, like, there's a lot of investment always in women's programs for that age, but I, I'm actually one to think that that's extremely important, but those things should also be investing money in. Um, I think those things are failed, are doomed to failure a little bit if they focus exclusively on women. They should also focus on 40 to 45-year-old men because that, let's face it, whether you like it or not, that is a massive source of golfers. And why is that uh, an embarrassment? Why does golf think that's embarrassing? Uh, well, it, I think golf's embarrassed to put money into that, um, but it, it would help golf to put money into that as, as long as it's not necessarily at the expense of getting women into golf. I think that's an enormous untapped market, obviously. But you know, programs that ex- exclusively focus on trying to get women into golf tend to be challenged and um, the, the the measures that they're uh, put up against tend to just not be met consistently. So I feel like if they're um, if you if you put some of that investment into men as well, then the 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 woman the female part of that will come along with it, and you'll get more forty to forty five year old women playing golf as well. Um, you could so. even try appealing to couples. I don't know. Crazy. Yeah, that's exactly right. I, I think what you've got is vestiges of a kind of, of a sexism. Uh, you know, if, if you're investing money to get the women in because you're getting them out of the house or their kids are a school age and so they've got to fill the time, which is a completely antiquated and absurd notion. But I think that's probably, if you're honest about it, the origin of that program. Mm-hmm. And if that's where the women's investment comes from, well, the 40 year old man, well, he probably ought to be able to take care of himself. He's doing business connections and needs it for, you know, or, or something like that. So he's probably, they're assuming probably that if he's going to get into golf, he's already gotten into it, which is just kind of a, an ancient way of looking at the yeah. game. You know, my, my wife and I joke, we're 
knock on wood, I, I think if everybody's healthy, we're done having children. Two is plenty. We don't want to be outnumbered playing zone defense. <laughs> and we, we had a dream of, you know, on on vacations, you know, it would be nice for us to go out and just walk nine holes together. You know, she gave up the game when she got pregnant with our oldest. She was actually in clinics uh, out at the, the practice facility and enjoying it, kind of getting back into it. She hadn't been in it since she played with her grandfather as a small child. And she was starting to enjoy it. And then, well, you know, life happened. So we, we joke that she's not ready, but she's getting close to getting back into the game. And it's not necessarily to go play with her friends, because I don't know if any of her friend, her female friends play golf. But it was for a way for us to, to spend some time together every once in a while. I don't know. I may be crazy. I may be the only man in America that thinks like that. But I think if we're honest about kind of those investment programs and where they come from, there's just some old thinking there. And I think you're absolutely right, Rod, that if you if you were honest and captured some of that, the the segment of both of the couples, um, that may be a way that the game sustains itself. Well, here's the thing. As a pursuit for couples, there could hardly be anything better. It's one of the great travel pursuits. Every destination has a golf course to go and see. If you both play golf, you can really make it a, a fantastic positive. I've had over the years, a couple of times, you know, girls that I've been with who've played golf. It's, it's wonderful. It's magnificent. You, you know, you get all that stupid old bloke's humour at the club when you're, oh, well, I want my wife to play. Oh, come here to get away from it, all that sort of nonsense. None of which is really That's true for most people. Absolute nonsense. And, and, yeah, absolutely not true for a lot of blokes. They'd love to play golf with their wife. Yeah. And especially if it meant, you know, you could go to Tasmania and, and go to Barnboogle Dunes, as I did once. Like, how good's that? <laughs> I wouldn't have, wouldn't have been doing that before. So there's, there's an awful lot of stuff to overcome uh, within that. I just wanted to finally touch, uh, finish up by touching on, we won't spend too long on this because we've spent loads of time on this in the past, but Dave, your trip to Scotland, uh, it's a sort of a spiritual pilgrimage for some of us. I think it was that for you. You won't know till you get there whether it's going to be the spiritual pilgrimage. How has that changed your thinking and relationship with the game? Because, of course, you come home and golf at home hasn't changed, but you've changed. I have. My standards, uh, you know, playing, we went in October. We went in late October, which meant the weather was iffy at best ahead of time. Um, and, but we, there were three of us and we just decided, well, we're going, so we're going to take layers. We're going to take rain gear and we're going to be out there no matter what, if they, if the course is open, we're going to go, which is not a traditional American golf mindset. So I actually spent a year the, the winter before trying to see what that was like to, you know, just go out in all conditions. Some literally, sometimes I was the only one at the course and some of my, my compatriots were as well. Um, and there's a, what we found over there was just a piece with it. You know, the, the golf culture in Scotland in around St. Andrews is so different. It's golf is so interwoven with everyday life there. Um, you know, the, for the tourists coming, there were tons of Canadians and Americans there as well, which I surprised for that time of year, but, um, just that it, and nobody cared. Nobody ever asked what you shot. You know, when you get down with the old course, nobody ever asked you, well, what'd you shoot? You know, you go to a big name course here in the States. Like I, I was fortunate to play uh, Muirfield village last year and a, you know, a couple guys and talking about like, oh, how'd you play? What'd you, what'd you score? Nobody does that over there because the, the wind and the turf and the game are just so different. And it's just pure fun. Uh, there's a kind of an old man of the sea element to it. You're, you're out there battling, doing your best. But at the same time, you're having fun. You're laughing. Um, nobody gets too worked up about it. It's 
just golf, which is really refreshing and exactly what probably a lot of golfers, uh, what they love about it in Scotland. It's a revelation, isn't it, Adrian? It strikes me there are two types of people in the world, I've come to believe. There are golfers and non-golfers. Not all people who play golf are golfers, and not all people who don't play golf are necessarily non-golfers. There's an awakening. I think if you get to Scotland and that connection is made for you like it did for Dave, not everybody necessarily has that. But if you have that, I think that, that means you're a golfer. Does that make sense? Yeah, most people experience that awakening. I think you've got those two types, but the type who you're characterising as non-golfers who play golf, they they are potentially you know ripe for that awakening. Oh yeah, they're not they lost to the us. Golf experience. Yeah, they're not, they're not lost, lost to us. To us no. no, they, they just <laughs> and, need a uh, moment. To Scotland. Yeah, Scotland's a great place to find that. Brendan James said it great in the podcast last week, didn't he? Where he said in Scotland, when you come off the course, people aren't asking you, "Oh, was it in good nick?" or you know. Or you know, how good was it, or something? They're asking you, "Did you have fun? Yeah. Did, did you en- enjoy your game?" Yeah. That's it's a huge difference. Did you missed the seventh on the right because that's death over there. You don't want to be yeah. those sorts that's of questions, right. which are much more sort of sort of golfer. Yeah, absolutely no uh, good stuff. And it's not it's not just like a St Andrews or something that provides that experience. Little towns no. all throughout Scotland and England. Um, provide that same experience and that doesn't even have to be coastal as well you know inland golf in in those regions is is much more down to earth and the golf course is uh, you know a lot more accessible and a part of the community I've not been there Dave but is Pinehurst a bit like that it strikes me as a kind of almost a birthplace of American golf that it's got a far more Scottish outlook from what I hear have you been there and do you find any similar I have been there I think I think Pinehurst is trying. They're they're listening to you have that discussion just now. There are places in the states that are trying very hard to be incubators for that awakening. I think after the core Crenshaw renovation and the opening of the cradle, and probably with Hans's, I haven't seen number four yet. I, um, we did our guys' golf trip down there two years ago, and four was still being worked on. Um, Pinehurst is like that for the states. I think Bandon Dunes on the other coast is very much like that. You know, that is those are not championship golf courses and nobody cares. You know, people it, it is reserved a year in advance because of the because it's so much fun. Um, I think Sweden's Cove with, with that kind of just pure fun design philosophy has a following. Now they've got a cult like following to an extent, but I think it's probably well earned because it's a, a golf course where you go and you just have fun. You hit different shots for the fun of hitting different shots. You don't, no one's out there trying to set a course record. Um, so yeah, I, I think there are little places, I think with architecture moving in that direction that it has for the last 20 years, um, that there are places that are, are like that where no one asks what you shot. Uh, it's, you know, did you have fun? Did you have good weather and could you have fun that day? Um, I so we'll see. For that is a place like Sweetens Cove doesn't even have a clubhouse. They've got some sort of a shack, and let's see how golf goes through this period now, where clubhouses are shut, and just we'll find out just how important it is to spend five or ten million or thirty million dollars on a fancy clubhouse, um, and send your golf club broke. Um, we'll find out just how important that is over the next six to twelve months. And a story you should follow in that vein is our friend Colton Craig. Um, he is actually working on a course here in Kentucky. He, he tweeted out some photos of a clubhouse that's not much bigger than than a, a house. Um, just a very simple, almost rustic 
feel to it. Um, of the, I guess the clubhouse is an existing building, and they're they're creating a golf course next to it. So hop on, follow his Instagram or Twitter uh, periodically. I'm going to try to go down and say hi to him this coming week. Uh, we but had him on the podcast, and he was he'll fantastic. be listening to this, Colton. Yeah, yeah. possibly. Yeah. yeah, and that photo probably that tweeted out. I did see that, Dave. I think his his referring to that as a clubhouse is a bit like Adrian referring to his corner as an office. Uh, <laughs> it's the same sort of discourse. Certainly not what you expect, but I agree with you. I thought that looked fantastic. And you're right, Adrian. I feel like, I guess I was going to close the discussion with this, we've almost come full circle. I wonder whether, and I guess lots of us are wondering whether, this virus will be the reset for a lot of golf stuff, where a lot of the peripherals will melt away for people naturally, and golf might be rediscovered by a lot of people for its true joys and not for a lot of the peripheral stuff that we've been. Wouldn't it be good? Like you, you quickly find out what's important, don't you? And a lot of clubs are just dropping. Like I've, I'm on this vendetta against golf clubs for having ridiculous numbers of competition types and all sorts of exotic combinations of competitions and ridiculous rules around their timesheets and uh, endless sort of membership categories and just all of this complexity, which they're they feel like was necessary in order to squeeze every last drop out of the lemon. And it just when you put everything under stress, you realize what's important and what's not. And all of that stuff has just melted away. And, you know, there's every club is trying to simplify how you get on the golf course, what competitions they're offering, if any at all, how you play the game, what you need to actually have up and running at the golf club and in the clubhouse. And, uh, it's just pairing everything back to the bare essentials and simplifying the game. And we talked a lot in this podcast about growing the game and I can't think of a better way to grow the game than to just simplify it, just to just get rid of all of that complexity that has built up over the years. And it all adds cost in little ways, adding cart paths. Let me just get that in there. Um, (laughs) Having, having gardens throughout the course, none of it adds to the golf, but somebody thought that putting that garden in there was going to, you know, dazzle some visitor to the club and, and entice them into, you know, joining the golf club or something. Well, that's just nonsense. You know, what, what that, it actually that does is, is intimidate those who aren't yet a part of it into thinking, oh, this maybe not isn't the sort of place for me. A lot of that stuff right. is kind of what it, it's making the game more exclusive. If you're not, if you don't get that, then you're not going to be a part of uh, what we've got going here. Uh, always fantastic to talk about golf with people that like the game. Dave, can't thank you enough, my friend, at short notice to jump in and be a part of it. It's been great to catch up. Nice of you to meet, finally meet Adrian. I didn't realise that you two guys hadn't met, so nice to be able to uh, to do that. Been really enjoying the podcast. When can we um, when can we expect the next episode, and where can people find you online should they wish to follow you now that they're aware of your brilliance and eloquence? Now that you've pulled the curtain back, uh, <laughs> probably most active on Twitter at One Bearded Golfer. That's the number one bearded golfer. Uh, the blog is onebeardedgolfer.com, all spelled out. That's where you can download or subscribe to the podcast, the uh, Blind Shots podcast, although it is finally filtered through, I think, to all the, the uh, services, iTunes, Spotify, uh, Google Podcast, all of those things. And also on the Talking Golf Network, just the one G in Talking Golf. Don't forget that, so you can find the Bloodshot Blind Shots podcast there. But I do recommend going and visiting Dave's blog. He's written some fabulous stuff over time. If you can dig up the piece he did on scorecards, you'll know whether you're a golfer or a non-golfer. Mm. Because if you get to the end of that and you're nodding your head, trust me, you're a golfer and you probably need help. 
Thanks, Dave. Been great to have you aboard, mate. Really appreciate it. Glad to do it. Indeed. And Adrian, always great to uh, chat to you, mate. A shame we can't be doing it in the studio for the foreseeable future, although I might measure this table. It might be 1.5 metres, you know. We might be able to be <laughs> Exactly, I can come in in some sort of a space suit or something. You'll have to make your way to the desk, and then when you're there, send me a text next door, and then I can come in so that we're never within 1.5 metres of each (laughs) (laughs) or something crazy like that. But it's been great to catch up today, mate. We might might try and get out and play some uh, 1.5 metre distance golf at some point in the near future as well. Well, Sounds good. I'll have to get you out there, Rod. You haven't been playing enough lately. Uh, No, but actually, I did speak to BJ last week. There might be a pitch and putt trip to Terry Hills. Oh, that sounds like fun. We should do that. Indeed. So that's exactly right. That that might be at some stage this week. So I'll keep in touch about that. That's it for episode 24 of Good Good. Not sure what we achieved, if anything, but hope you enjoyed the chat as much as we did. And we look forward to your company when we do it all again next week here on the Good Good Golf Podcast.